up above my head. I hear music in the air. Oh, there must be a God somewhere up above my head. I see freedom in the air. Up above my head, I see freedom in the air. Up above my head, I see freedom in the air. Oh, there must be a God somewhere. The beauty of music and the harmonies and the lyrics, it's the energy that rides through. We talk about songs of freedom, and in those songs, it keeps you going. It helps to drive the hope in those times of despair. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the their souls are crying out for the need for change. And that's, I think that's why I kind of do what I do. It's life. Freedom's coming and it won't be long. Freedom's coming and it won't be long. What took place in Charleston, you think of Sandra Bland, you think of Ferguson with Michael Brown. It is still a need for a coming together. That's why we sing, that's why we do the songs, that's why we learn the songs. friends. It's so nice to be back on here again. I took a little bit of a break last month to re-energize and get some more interviews going, but I wanted to make sure to dedicate an episode to honoring Black History Month. So today's focus is going to be the civil rights movement and the power of song within the movement. I was reading an article from Kent State University recently about this, and it talked about the goal of the civil rights movement, which, as you know, was to end racism and promote peace and establish federal law stating that all individuals, no matter their race, deserve to be treated in a fair and just fashion. But in the early stages of the civil rights movement, social justice groups needed ways to not only spread the message, but also evoke emotion and inspire individuals enough to continue gathering together. So to manage, civil rights groups relied heavily on music. So much so that the late great Dr. Martin Luther King wrote in Why We Can't Wait that music was the, quote, soul of the movement. In fact, during long protests, individuals in both courtyards or jail cells would rely on singing and humming to keep unity and energy amongst the crowd. Singing was also an important part of opening and closing ceremonies, as vocal unity helped relieve anxiety and nerves among a diverse crowd. 
And so I got to catch a glimpse of the power of music a couple weeks ago at a Fuller Chapel celebrating Black History Month in which the choir made up of a beautifully diverse crowd led us in some beautiful gospel worship. The choir director, who you'll be hearing from today, is Mrs. September Penn. She's not only the choir director, but she's also the co-founder, CEO, and creative director of a nonprofit organization called Sounds of the Civil Rights Movement, The Power of Song. And this is an organization that educates and trains youth and communities about the civil rights movement and social justice issues through song, theater, and art. And their primary focus is to promote community service and nonviolent exchanges. And most important of all, to promote change. Throughout the episode, you'll hear not only from September, but you'll get to hear her music and some clips from the power of song. I hope you enjoy. I think Dr. Martin Luther King would absolutely love the power of song because he spoke of, of his dream, you know, in his speech of all races, uh, of all ages, joining hands, singing together, and calling for uh, people to love one another. Black and white together, we shall not be moved. Black and white together, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, we shall not be moved. I think it's important for us to remember where we've been and what we have gone through and see much how how much we have already accomplished. When you are with several hundred or even a thousand people and you are being hit with fire hoses, and as I say, those dogs, oh my God, those dogs, you start singing. How many seas was the wife to Dorsel before she sleeps in the sand? Welcome to the protagonistas. Talk to me about the power of song. Okay. Oh, the power of song is um my nonprofit organization. It's a five hundred one c three company. It was born um, in two thousand fifteen. We didn't do it on purpose. It kind of grew out of a theater production that um, my husband and I had been commissioned to write um, in two thousand fourteen. I was still living in Florida. I understand you got some Florida yeah, roots. From but Miami. Yeah, we're in Florida. St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, cool. yeah. We lived there for almost 10 years. Oh, nice. And really, it was in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I saw the best of myself and the worst of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of um, lots of soul work was done there, you know, even within my marriage and, mm-hmm. and all. But my, my real theater ministry kind of 
was born there mm-hmm. in St. Petersburg, Florida. I mean, I'd done some theater in college and everything, but I kind of returned to it when I was in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I had um, released my first CD in 2009. So I'm invited to several different events around the community. And one of them was a um, event um, sharing about the homeless, the Pinellas County Coalition for the Homeless. And I know this sounds like I'm going in another direction, but this is kind of how this was born. Yeah. No, I was invited good. to share at an event uh, by the Pinellas County Coalition for the Homeless. And um, with some of the songs that I shared, they they said they love the spirit of the music and they said they loved my heart. So they invited me to help them create an original play that told the stories behind the homeless. Mm-hmm. From doing that project... And also having been a regular cast member of Black Nativity mm-hmm. and also working with Dr. Claiborne Carson mm-hmm. out of Stanford University on his production, Passages of Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. we were approached by a state representative. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw the work that I've been doing in the community. He knew that I had um, good connections in um, the theater community there in St. Petersburg, and he knew the the, the type of work that I did, mm-hmm. uh, speaking to social justice issues, yeah. um, trying to connect um, different organizations and people groups in the community. He said he disliked um, my husband and, and and my spirit as far as working with different folks and making something creative mm-hmm. out of that. So right. he approached us in 2014 to write an original um, production about the music of the movement. While mm-hmm. I had already been doing one, called Passages of Martin Luther King, he didn't want just the focus to just be the story of Martin Luther King. He wanted the focus to be on the music itself. Mm -hmm. So from all of my various experiences and working with Dr. Carson and learning a lot of the history and the significance of this music, I was able to write Sounds of the Civil Rights Movement, Mm -hmm. The Power of Song. Mm -hmm. And that's what gave birth to my nonprofit. Wow. Yes, so that's kind of how it it all started. When we first got the assignment, it was we knew it was a God assignment. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't chase it down. We didn't um, try to muster up something. We were just busy about doing what we felt God was calling us to do. Yeah. At that time, I was also working in a church as a worship leader and a business administrator. Mm-hmm. And I was doing this theater work kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. And really funny, at that time, I had this kind of weird honoring of what I was doing in the community even more so than what I was doing in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And God is so gracious how he patiently, um, uh, you know, kind of chides us and reminds us, no, it's all important. Yeah. Your, 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 your street work mm-hmm. and your sanctuary work, it's all valuable and it's all needed. It's all important. But um, yeah, <laughs> so even when he was calling me to seminary, I was still trying to do this weird negotiation yeah. with him. But Lord, <laughs> look what I'm doing in the streets. <laughs> I don't need to go to seminary. Yeah. But yeah, again, I had to participate and humble myself that's for that. Good. Yeah. So that's kind of how, how it all started. Yeah. So talk to me about um, like the narrative that you're trying to tell or create in in what you're doing in your production. So yes. just like music and civil rights movement. And so talk to me a little bit about that narrative. Okay. Um, it's, it's full of history lessons. Mm-hmm. So we tell the song stories and the history behind these um, specific songs that were used in the movement. And in doing so that, we don't pitch it as a Christian production, mm-hmm. but the gospel of Jesus Christ comes through. Yeah. Obviously, in um, many of the songs were taken directly from the black church. Mm-hmm. So you talk about how they were used in the black church, then how they switched some of the lyrics and made them freedom songs, like the song, one of the songs I mentioned 
woke up this morning with my mind. The original is, woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. Woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. So they took those songs, you know, they've been singing for years and years in the church. They take them and they flip the lyrics and all of a sudden, the freedom song is, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. Um, another, uh, I mean, song after song, um, like up above my head, it's um, up above my head. I hear music in the air, up above my head. I hear music in the air, up above my head. I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. And the way I've heard how they flipped this song, they picked up the tempo just a little bit um, to give it a little bit more grounding. So it was like, up above my head. I see freedom in the air, up above my head. I see freedom in the air, up above my head. I see freedom in the air. There must be a God somewhere. I'm like at church right now. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And it's it's beautiful and it's powerful mm -hmm. because it's simple. Yeah. You know, they're not complicating it. Um, they're not racking their brains to come up with something to use to speak to this occasion. They're taking what is already in their beings. It's already in their spirits. Mm -hmm. They're just flipping the lyric, applying it to that situation. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it so effective. Yeah. So those black church songs were the first ones. Then obviously, as the movement continued, other voices were, were lending their talents to it. So you have, um, you know, you have the Bob Dylans, mm -hmm. you have Joan Baez, and these folks are singing songs like uh, those folk songs, mm -hmm. um, Blowing in the Wind. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we tell all those types of stories. Um, many of them are... Um, filling and fostering hope, mm -hmm. um, obviously encouraging each other, um, building community. Yeah. Uh, and then if you look at like songs like, um, like Sam Cooke, when he wrote A Change Is Gonna Come, mm -hmm. um, and that was written, you know, after his various experience being on the Chitlin circuit mm -hmm. and being turned away from whites only hotels. Mm -hmm. And that song, you know, it's, it's a lament, yeah. it's a complaint. Yeah. It's funky. It sounds great. He has got some amazing riffs. But if you listen to the verses, mm -hmm. there's so much um, complaint and challenge mm -hmm. that's in there. Yeah. yeah, he's telling his he's telling his story. Yeah. yeah. Such a necessary thing for me to be able to see from the past, um, but to be able to look here in the present and realize that it's still needed. On June 17, 2015, the Mother Church, Emmanuel. A.M.E. Church of Charleston, South Carolina, lost nine of their faithful souls to the wrath of an angry young gunman.
to heal the sin of sick soul. I was born in 1960, and so when I was 11 years old, Marvin Gaye put out uh, what's going on. Mother, 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 there's far too many of you crying. That music is, is so strong and tells the same message from back in the early 70s, late 60s, as it does now. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Love, love conquers everything. The love that's in this um, is, is amazing. I think the dream is people coming together. Have a dream that one day black little boys and black little girls will join hands with white little boys and white little girls and Asian and Latino and all children under God's sun. I have a dream. to me what is it being a black woman what is what is music personally what is that to you and I know that you've grown up you know playing music singing music all that kind of stuff but but yeah what does that mean to you just on a personal level um I mean music is life yeah. music is life it's it's stuff it's sustenance it's actual me sometimes it's actual meat mm -hmm. um because it stirs me it awakens me it alivens me um there are times um in my life you know that like years ago i had a battle with depression mm. and i recognized how strong power how powerful music was at that time along with you know with with, with therapy with mm -hmm. with um visits with good counselors um I know the music was um, was a factor in helping to keep me alive. Mm -hmm. I know even having the assignment of being a worship leader is a part of my sanity. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that I know I have to have my mind in a certain place to even stand before God's people, yeah. it keeps me. <laughs> One, it keeps me humble because... Um, I don't think I'm the best singer. I don't think I'm the best musician. Uh, certainly folks will tell me that. But I know as the Holy Spirit enlivens me, um, invigorates this whole, this mortal body, it's even more than just, you know, a, a spiritual or even a mystical thing. It is a physical thing that happens in my lungs. Mm -hmm. It's a physical thing that takes place in my voice. It's a physical thing that takes place um, in my muscles. Don't let anyone tell you that singing is not an, 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 a physical activity. <laughs> it is real um, work. It's a discipline. And um, 
yeah, the music has, has helped to keep my sanity. It has helped me not only to just be a minister unto others, but the music has ministered unto me and, and helped me to, um, in my maturity level and how I connect with people, I have found, um, especially since, since I've gotten a little bit older, there are times when I'm singing a song a certain way, I know I'm preaching a sermon. Mm, that's good. Because I'm not just, you know, singing the melody. There's something about the power and the lyric and the way the Holy Spirit drives me to deliver that mm. lyric. Yeah. I know it's a sermon and the fact that I'm singing it, it is penetrating and going deeper in you than if I were just saying it. Yes. That's something that the Lord has revealed yes. <laughs> to me. And I and, and I don't um you know, I try to be careful with how I I use that tool. Mm. I try to be careful and mindful. I've been blessed to travel across the country, to even travel around the world. And like the, the last two Christmases, I have gone to Japan with uh, Marco Fujimura. Mm. Uh, the Japanese people, they love um, gospel music. They love black gospel music. Mm. And that's a whole phenomenon in itself. Yeah. <laughs> it started with Sister Act. Uh, oh, yes, gosh. they fell in love with the gospel music, you know, Whoopi Goldberg singing yeah. and stuff. So they have um, gospel choirs all over Japan. Wow, I had no idea. I know. <laughs> but in these choirs, only 90, 90% of them are non-Christian. They're non-believers. Mm. Only 10% are actual Christian. Yeah. They're showing up and they're seeing, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit is slipping into these choir rehearsals and slipping into these performances. And even though um, the non-believers will, you know, they'll find themselves moved to tears. And uh, I only know this because of the folks that I've met going back and forth. They'll say, yeah. you know, they'll call us like after the choir rehearsal and they'll, and they'll be in tears and asking, well, why do you follow this Jesus? Mm. Tell me more about this Jesus. Whoa. So when I, when I go in and I'm singing, um, I often have, you know, some translation, but more than a translation, it's the, it's the vibrations. Mm. Because the vibrations don't have, they don't need any type of translation. You can just feel it and sense it in your spirit. So um, I'll share share a story. Uh, two older Japanese women, they were probably in their 70s. Two different occasions. Um, both of them approached me in the very same manner. They are shaking. They're trying to not cry but I can see the tears kind of welling up in their eyes and they come and they're like nodding. Mm. And um, I usually have a translator with me and I, and I, I would ask, uh, first I ask permission, can I give you a hug? Yeah. <laughs> and they want the hug. Yeah. <laughs> so they go in and, and you have to ask, cause in the culture, you know, mm. and they don't do a lot of touching. Mm. But um, in my culture, black people like to hug. Not all of them, but I'm from the South. Yeah. So, yeah, we hug. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I ask permission to hug. And, and, and especially for one of them, as I'm holding her, I can feel her still fighting, holding back the tears. And I, I, I ask, why won't you let yourself cry? Mm. And, and um, she's going, mm, mm, mm. She's shaking her head no. And my, my translator, she's talking to her. And then I, I say, you can cry with me. 
you can cry. And it's like just the fact that I gave her the permission to share, to emote, whatever it is that you're feeling, even though um, it's like she, it was such a new thing for her. Um, Marco Marco was witnessing this across the room. And um, his response was, he said, September, you have no idea the permission that you gave this woman. She said, it's probably been years, years, ever, Never that, that just she's done that in public. She said, he's even in private, that's not something that you do a lot. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. And that's, that is the power of music, mm-hmm. you know, moving beyond um, understanding the words, but just letting, it's spirit talking to spirit, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There is <sighs> beautiful passages you know, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, even God singing, uh, like in Zephaniah, there's a passage that talks about how he sings over us. Mm-hmm. And I think there have been times, I can't say I say I've heard the song audibly, but I have certainly felt, I felt it within my being. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even passages that talk about how God whistles. And I, and, and um, I, after I served in the Pentecostal church, the one that, you know, faithfully called me out. Yeah. So one, one thing about certain churches that they know you have a gift, they will wear you out to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so in that particular church, I'm in my early 20s at that point. I was serving as the worship leader and the choir director. They had three services on Sunday, a midweek service, and I had two choir rehearsals, one for the adult choir, one for the children's choir. Needless to say, I lost my voice. Oh, my gosh. I lost my voice. After we left that church, I had lost my voice for about a year and a half, almost two years. Many people don't know this. And it was a very, very painful, sad time in my life because I I really couldn't sing. But during that time, I experienced the whistle. Mm. (laughs) I mean, there are places in the uh, passages in the Bible where it says that God whistles. But there were points that I would get so frustrated that I couldn't sing. that I just started whistling what I heard. Mm. You know, whatever the the melody it was that I was hearing. Mm. And in, in that own whistling, I knew it was unto the Lord. I knew that he was receiving my whistle. My voice was crappy. My chords were tired. I had started to do vocal therapy. Literally, I was in a very damaged state. Yeah. But the fact that I could whistle and I could feel the release of worship, I could feel the Lord being pleased with me, mm-hmm. even in the whistle. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, there is something just rich and honoring in, 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 in music even, you know, from our brokenness. I was a very broken vessel. <laughs> At that point, the best I could do was whistle, but the Lord received it. <laughs> Southern trees Bay.
Baptist Church. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Southwest Virginia Mm -hmm. and um, that's rural Virginia. Mm -hmm. When you say Virginia, some folks, they get, there's two different uh, uh, depictions of it. If you're, if you're like from Arlington or Alexandria, you know, that's outside of DC. Mm -hmm. That's a very different vibe than what we had in rural Virginia. Um, My grandfather was a tobacco farmer. Mm -hmm. So when I was little, there were times I would go out there with my brother and my cousins in the tobacco fields. <laughs> yeah, that's a part of my history, especially yeah. in the summertime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I ended up going to Virginia Tech, so I'm a Hokie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as you know, music and singing, I think I probably came out of the womb singing, my whole family. Yeah. They're singers and musicians and preachers. Um, somewhere after college, uh, I guess I have to, to share this. I was in a bit... There was a point that I was in a bit of a backslidden state and I wasn't going to church at all. I had kind of gotten somewhat disillusioned, Mm -hmm. you know, with the institution of church. And I had some bad experiences with with the pastor. And so I I had um, probably about a year or two I was out, but never out of communion with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Still, you know, still having a relationship with, with, with God. I remember one point he was just calling me back, calling me back to the fold. Mm -hmm. And I had this, you know, very specific conversation. Okay, if I'm going to go back, you got to send me to the right church Mm because I'm sick of going to these churches that are just doing the activity of church. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to send me to a place where um, I'm going to feel the love. I'm going to get something real and tangible, you know, to feed my soul. And at that time in my life, he sent me to a Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a very eclectic yeah. denominational background. <laughs> so I'm attending a Pentecostal church. I received the baptism, you know, the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, all of that. It was actually in the Pentecostal church that my my musical giftings, um, it was recognized that I was more than just a singer or a soloist. And this particular pastor called out the choir director in me. He called out the worship leader in me. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, does he really think I can do this? Yeah. 
And because when I was in college, um, I was called upon to direct the choir, and I I was horrible. I sucked. I did not have the anointing. <laughs> but at this church, the pastor saw something, and I remember when he called me at that first choir rehearsal, and he said, "I want you to direct the choir on this." And I thought, "I hope this goes okay." And I literally felt the anointing fall. And I was able, I mean, I, 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 it's like it's like Jesus was whispering in the back of my head, now send them to the next part. Now do your hands like this. No. Give them this cue. And I was like, geez, this is working. They're going where I'm taking them. This is fabulous. So that's when I started uh, directing choirs. You know, no real training, just um, there's you know, a little bit of trial and error, and I've perfected it through the years. Um, so even with coming to Fuller, first of all, I didn't expect to be on Fuller's chapel team. <laughs> I didn't expect to do anything with any choir because um, I came to Fuller later later in life, you know, after I've been working at the church. I, I, uh, I, know, I know I jumped ahead a little bit, but at some point I ended up working in um, Presbyterian Church. I, okay. I worked for PCUSA. I served two churches. I have like eight years of service with uh, PCUSA. And I'm not working with any choirs. Mm -hmm. I'm only being a worship leader yeah. and then working on with worship bands. So when I come to Fuller... Um, I'm older. I haven't done anything in academia for years. Mm -hmm. Lots of boots on the ground ministry, you know, right in the church, in the streets, with the people. And I haven't written an academic paper or challenged myself in that area for so many years. So I, my first quarter, I was literally just living in the library, mm -hmm. in the writing center. I wasn't trying to do anything. And at that time, the dean of students was um, Steve Yamaguchi. Mm -hmm. And he met my pastor back in Florida. I'm going to back up a little bit. You'll probably edit this. <laughs> I did it just yet. So I'm serving um, a church in Florida. I, I served them a total of five years. Mm -hmm. About a year into it, um, I'm serving as their worship leader, and the pastor had asked me to apply for their business administrator position because okay. their business administrator, she all of a sudden just left. So after I am in that position of, you know, a dual position, uh, worship leader and business administrator for a couple of weeks, uh, the pastor and I, we had developed a very good relationship, good rapport. We would talk about anything. But I remember one day I'm in the office and we're chatting it up about something. He all of a sudden switches gears and looks me right in my face and says, September, you're an amazing worship leader. I love what you're doing with that congregation. Mm. Very fruitful. And I think you're going to be a very good business administrator, too. I can see what you're doing around the office. Mm. But I'm not going to let you hide in my office. Mm. Wow. I'm not going to let you hide in this church. Wow. I think God has something else for you. Mm. And I can't tell you what it is. I think God is calling you to ministry. Wow. I think God is calling you to seminary specifically mm. to explore the call. And like I said earlier, I had already kind of negotiated with God, even though I'd been hearing seminary. Yeah. I had, I was like, I'm, I'm working full time in ministry. I'm doing, you know, this theater work on the side. Certainly I don't need seminary. But when he called me out, um, like, oh. okay, I'm, <laughs> even after that, I still, it, it still took me two years to really seriously mm -hmm. start looking at seminaries. Yeah. So... Since I was dragging my feet to get to seminary and I was trying to make sure I can do it right, I wasn't trying to get active at anything. 
um, Steve Yamaguchi meets my pastor at a uh, PCUSA General Assembly meeting. Mm -hmm. And my pastor said, certainly, you know, you've met September Penn. And Steve goes, no, I don't think I know September. Mm -hmm. And Pastor Bobby, his name is Bobby Musingwa, he says, don't you let September hide on your campus. Mm. I did not let her hide in my church. Ugh. This is what September can do. So he started telling Steve that she <laughs> sings, she does theater, you need to get her and work on your campus. Steve comes back, uh, he comes home, sends me an email, mm -hmm. and within the next week he and I are having a meeting and I'm getting connected to the chapel team to do interviews. Wow. So, at, but even with getting um, hired to participate with chapel, I hadn't directed a choir in about 15 years. Mm -hmm. I'd only done, you know, worship leading work. So they looked at my resume and they thought, you know what? Maybe we can try her at the choir. Maybe we can revive Kaleo Choir. Mm -hmm. From what I have been told, it hadn't been active for about a year and a half or two. Okay. So after they hired me to work with the chapel, they that was a part of my assignment to also work with the Kaleo mm -hmm. Choir. And I remember thinking, can I do this? I haven't directed a choir in so many years, God. Is this going to work? And again, at that first rehearsal, it was coming back. I was like, okay, the yeah. Holy Spirit is still with me. I still have the anointing. It's going to work. So. That's, yeah. That's so powerful. That don't let her hide. You know? <laughs> like, oh, that is such a powerful... I'm thinking of so many things that that applies to. Like, mm. don't let her specifically her right and specifically you know don't let her hide i think that's that's incredible from okay this is an idea or nonprofit to like I'm gonna take this everywhere you know like or or was that always the idea or you it know? wasn't the idea okay. um we didn't plan to move to LA oh, really? yeah, <laughs> we were pretty cozy in Florida yeah. you know it's a lot more affordable oh, my kids yeah. are doing well in school oh, you know we had a house and everything um so we didn't plan to move to LA um at that time I had least already done my application for Fuller, mm -hmm. but I was more than content to be an online student. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I saw the, the, you know the Brim Center for Worship Theology and the Arts, and I thought, okay, that's a that's a perfect fit for what I do, for yeah. who I am. But again, I was not going to move my yeah. family for seminary. Yeah. I was going to be an online student. Um, this is in 2015 after we'd done the show one time. So my husband, he was hired, um, the, the LA Times started wooing him, mm -hmm. kind of, and 
he figured he would just, you know, parlay the opportunity into a raise mm-hmm. at the Tampa Bay Times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, obviously that wasn't God's plan. Mm-hmm. When, when he accepted it, when he realized, okay, I think we're going to be moving our family to LA, um, God reminded me, because I'm very slow on doing my application, God reminded me, look where you're going. You're going to the back door of the school that you're applying for. This is what I want for you. <laughs> so good. I thought, okay, I guess I'll be an on-campus student at Fuller. This will yeah. be interesting. Um, but no, we didn't plan to move. Now, our board, before we moved, uh, you know, nonprofit, you have to have a board of director. Our chairman of the board, he had said to us, the message that you guys are sharing, this needs to go everywhere. Mm. Um, at that time, it was after Trayvon Martin mm. had been killed um, and the police brutality, even though was already taking place, it was becoming, people were seeing it more. Mm. So it seemed like it was becoming more prevalent because people yeah. were catching it, you know. Mm. Um, and we have a scene in the production where we talk about that. We talk about police brutality. We talk about immigration. We talk about current day issues. So 75% of the production is history. 25% is what's going on right now. So we actually, that's where we actually introduce some songs that have been written over the last five or six years too. Mm-hmm. But um, with him saying that that production needs to be you know in every major city because they need to hear this me- message we thought oh yeah we can do that eventually mm-hmm. <laughs> we since we moved to LA it kind of just felt right uh also with the great encouragement of again Steve Yamaguchi mm-hmm. uh saying you know I think you should do that you should just be encouraged to do that mm-hmm. and so that was we did it here in 2016 mm-hmm. was it 2016 no, 2017 was the first year here. Then we did it, did it again last year, 2018. This year is a little bit of a, um, a bit, I guess you would call it a sabbatical year. Mm-hmm. We had some, we didn't get the contract in Florida. And from from our contract, we were always able to get matching funds mm-hmm. that we, they were not earmarked, earmarked funds. We could, you know, use them mm-hmm. um, for however we wanted to use them. So we would use that as seed money for the California show. Since we didn't have that, um, we were starting at ground zero. Mm-hmm. And once we decided, um, this is early January this year, 2019, we decided that we don't think we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, this, the next week, we learned of $20,000 that we could have done it. But even when that when the call came through, it's like the Holy Spirit was saying, um, okay, are you gonna hustle or are you just gonna relax and let me do something with you this year? Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, we're not gonna do the show. We're not gonna push it. That money will, will be basically cushion money mm-hmm. as we go and plan for 2020. Mm-hmm. But this year, 2019 is, um, yeah, it's a sabbatical year for the Power Song. It's a, it, we are really working on the foundations, trying to get the, the nonprofit stronger because when it when when you have a nonprofit born out of a production, it's not strong. The production is strong. Yes. <laughs> okay. The nonprofit, its legs are not strong. Oh, yeah. So that's what we're working on this year. I guess yeah. sol- soliciting prayers yeah. as we're doing that. We're we're really relaying the foundation, um, making better connections, um, trying to learn how to make this work as a ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we know it. It definitely is an assignment for God. We didn't dig it out, we didn't search it, but it's still very alive in our hearts. And one thing I found uh, working, since I do this with my husband, 
it's it's beautiful and it's it's like we are at our best selves the greatest flow I mean certainly there's a flow when I'm working with the choir certainly there's an anointing a flow of the anointing when I'm leading worship but when I do this particular theater production with my husband there is such a powerful flow that takes place and so we know God it's it's God has a plan for it and we're just trying to be faithful to lay the foundations right.